Hey, this is Alex Terranova, and this is the Dream Mason Podcast. We've been taught to behave, to fit in, to follow the rules, but Dream Masons reject conventional thought. Dream Masons are rebels. They take a chisel to the marble that is typical traditional life. They carve out brilliance and broadcast it to the world. Join me for another chapter as we unmask convention, embrace the rebels within us, and more deeply come to explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence. Now, before we get started, please don't be a rebel yet and grab your phone and hit that little button that says subscribe. Thank you. Because your dreams don't build themselves. What is up? Welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I am so excited to record today. So much has been going on. I feel like I have so much to share. There's so there's there's some gems that I'm going to share with you, really one specific, which we're going to talk about power and leadership. But really, we're going to talk about the difference between one being fierce and one being dominant. And how those show up as, as often two dynamics of power in our society. But we're going to get to that because there's so much cool stuff that I want to share with you. The first, uh, I just want to share with you what's been going on because I think you're going to have some interest in this. So I want to tell you a story about how I got called into men's work. So not that long ago, I was asked to write uh, a chapter or I asked to write a chapter. I don't remember how it went, but basically I got to write a chapter in a book called Redefining Masculinity. And it's, I think, eight authors, eight men writing about their experience of masculinity, of being a man. And I kind of dove into that book and didn't really know how it would impact me or affect me. And I think, you know, we live in a world where we talk about lots of things. We talk about men, we talk about women, we talk about masculinity, we talk about femininity. Some of us get really in, intentional about this conversation. Some of us brush over the surface. I think for me, for the most part, I hadn't really thought all that much about it. And in writing that chapter, it really opened something up for me. Part of it that it opened up was simply the conversation, the thinking about where did I learn how to be a man? I would ask you that to answer that question. Where did you, if you're a man, who taught you how to be a man? Who taught them how to be a man? Who even informed our conversations about masculinity? Well, again, I can't, I can't speak for you or answer for you, but I know for me, conversations about masculinity were mostly informed by simply what I saw. I saw my dad as a man being angry, short-tempered, really hardworking, really committed to work and providing. I saw interest in sports. I saw interest in women. When I looked at media, I saw action heroes, things like Terminator and Rambo and Rocky. I saw Italian mafia movies. I saw this version of masculinity that looked like that, that looked like anger, that looked like dominance, that looked like taking what one wanted. I also looked, saw a version of masculinity that was like Zach from Saved by the Bell or these kind of bad boy guys who use manipulation and charismatic, uh, charismatic attributes to get what they wanted. And so my version of masculinity got formed from all these inputs. And when I look now as a, as a man, 
to think where my masculinity was formed. Wow, really wasn't intentional. It really wasn't on purpose. I never looked at, hey, is it serving me? Is it serving the world? Is it serving my relationships? And for the most part, it wasn't. And I look at, and I can look at other men who I've seen in my life and is their version of masculinity serving them and their relationships? So this, this conversation in this book opened up all of these things. And that started a conversation of having me pay attention to and coach people and work with men around their masculinity, around their relationships. It wasn't specifically like I was working on with men around their masculinity. It was like, I'd be working with a man around his relationship with his wife. And he would say something like, oh, my wife is trying to, is like this feminist. She's trying to be all empowered. And as a coach, I would say, you know, it sounds like there's a, you have a problem with your wife feeling empowered. What's the problem with that? And, and the client would share whatever they would share. And, and often it was like, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's this trend of this thing or whatnot. And, and I got to look at with like said, man, how is your wife getting empowered a problem, right? How is that not an, a great thing? Don't you want your daughters to be empowered? Well, they're going to eventually be wives. Do you, do you, right? And you can see how these pieces got formed that conversations started getting opened up around masculinity, femininity, relationships of men and, and female dynamics in ways that I hadn't looked at them before. Let's jump forward a little bit and... I'm playing with this conversation. I'm reading more books about masculinity. Uh, I'm reading books about femininity. I'm listening to more conversations. I'm watching videos. And as I look out in the world, and Evan and I talk about this, my interest in men's work starts to peak. But when I look out in the world, most of what I see, now I'm sure somebody listening to this is going to have an uh, opinion about something else exists, and, and it may be true, right? I only know what I know. Most of what I notice that I see is two types of men's work. One, which has men go to an, an older paradigm. So let's learn survival skills. Let's shoot guns out of helicopters. Let's, uh, you know, paint on our face and go out into the desert and shake each other and get really connected through aggression and, and intensity. And, and let's bond as a brotherhood in like this, I want to say archaic way. And while I don't think there's anything specifically wrong with that, I think it's archaic. I think that me going out into the desert and learning about survival skills and ancient things like about what it was to be a man was relevant at a point in time in our history, but isn't so relevant today. It's more relevant that you know how to code than you know how to know how to hunt. Now, the apocalypse happens, that might change. But currently, survival skills, you could say coding is a better survival skill than hunting at, at, at this current moment for most of the people that I know in the world that I live in. And then I see this other paradigm, which is all about the softening of men. So the first paradigm really was built, right, with, with World War II and the Great Depression and these hard and tough men that, that needed to make hardened, tough boys. And then the other side is the backlash to that, right? That consequence, that hard man is no access to feelings, difficulty, connection, um, intense amount of pressure to be strong and succeed and never back down and win at all costs. That old paradigm of masculinity is exhausting. And the shift 
through mostly a lot of it was brought on by feminism, had us look at the problems that version of masculinity created. And then the, the flip side of this is the softening of men. This idea that men um, need to be all in their emotions and their feelings. And I noticed that it's, the, it's like the paradigm flipped. It's like that the pendulum went from one side to the other. And in a lot of ways, men got very soft. Well, I was really not into either one of these paradigms of men's work. And I'm sitting with two friends and Evan, and we're having this conversation. And, and one of these women says to me, or sorry, not one of these women, uh, my, friend's, my friend's wife says to me, well, if you don't like what's out there, why don't you create it? And that really stung. I, I believe that if you don't like what is in your reality, create something different. If you don't like what you're experiencing, create something new, do something about it. And it stung because I noticed I'm complaining about something and I'm not doing it and I'm not doing anything about it. And that really woke me up. And so I went on like a crash course of how can I learn as much about men's work and masculinity in ve from various paradigms as I can. And I got to say, uh, oh, I just want to shout out to two sources that really were really powerful. One is they're sitting here on my desk, but one is called The Will to Change. It's a book by Bell Hooks. Uh, Bell Hooks is a, is a woman. Um, I strongly recommend this book to men, to women. It is Bell Hooks, even as a woman, was able to say things that I feel as a man that I didn't have words for and couldn't express. The second book is, is a book by Trevor Boheim, Boheim, I don't know how you pronounce the name. It's called Man Uncivilized. And that felt like the other side of the conversation. Do I agree with everything in either one of these books? Absolutely not. Do I agree with lots of things? Sure. And there's somewhere in the middle that I really got clear on that my masculinity, my femininity, your femininity, your masculinity is not one thing or not one thing. It's not to take you out of one box and tell you who you shouldn't be or what you shouldn't be and put you in another. I want to make the argument that if I'm a Navy SEAL, what it means to be masculine is different than if I'm a stay-at-home father of four young children. If I'm a woman and I'm running for president, what it means to be feminine is different than if I'm a woman and I'm a stay-at-home mom with four children. And we could do this with anything. What it means to be masculine is might mean something different if you're an athlete, if you work in the wilderness, if you work with animals. You're, you're, uh, you're, to be feminine might be different if you're a doctor, a therapist, a caregiver, um, a lawyer. That who are we as people to say what is masculine, what is feminine, and how people should show up? That seems like a dated paradigm in itself. What if we could create a container to look at how our masculine was created, how our feminine was created, how we learned about each of these things? Are they serving us? How the media, our parents, our family, music, athletes, entertainment, all in influence those things and help us build what we think is our masculine and our feminine? 
and look at, is it working for us? Is it working for us as the parents we want to be, the partners we want to be, the business owners we want to be, the men, the women that we want to be? And this inspired me with my friend, Bob Conlon, who works with almost exclusively with men to create what we're calling the alchemy of men retreat. And I love thinking about how this was inspired by, this is inspired and for men who might not go on a men's retreat, who might feel triggered or an unattached or undesired feeling or an unconnected feeling to do some of those, the men's work that's available. And we created this to not be one or the other. We're not going to go out into the woods and like cut down trees and learn how to do survival skills and shoot guns out of helicopters. And we're not going to just sit and talk about our feelings and try to soften you up. We're going to look at the range of what it means to be alive, what it means to be masculine and what it means to be feminine. And look at the life you want to live. Look at what you're committed to as a man, as a person, as a father, as a partner, as a business owner, as an employee, as a leader, as the person that's helping create or not create the future of whatever's important to you, this planet, your business, your life, and reimagine and recreate that. The Alchemy of Men Retreat is going to take place in October, at the end of October, specifically October 27th. Bob Conlon and I will be facilitating it. We are so psyched about this. I just want to tell you, men who come on this retreat and the spots are limited and we're incentivizing the first few people that sign up, you can, you can check anything about this. If you go to the dreammason.com uh, on the top tab, there's an alchemy of men uh, retreat button that you can see all the details. But I just want to give you a little bit. If you come on this alchemy of men retreat with us, you are going to shift a lot of things in your life. You're going to become more confident and you're going to create and command more confidence. We're going to teach you about communication so that you can communicate more powerfully and more effectively in all the areas of your life. Maybe that's with your partner. Maybe that's with your children. Maybe that's at your job. We're going to help you look at how you've been defined by money, how much money you make, who you're fucking, uh, who you can beat up, uh, how cool you are, how, how, cool of a car you drive, how big your house is, these things, and unpack those things so you can make more money easier. So you can have better sex in a way that connects you more with your partner. So you can connect with men and have deep emotional conversations about things that actually matter to you. So you can start enjoying your life and the experience of your life. So you can have more connection with your partner, better relationships with your partner, better relationships with your family and other men in your life. So you can go on more adventures. So you can have less doubt about the decisions you make and how you show up and how you behave. I am so excited. Uh, if anyone wants to talk to me about the Alchemy of Men retreat, please reach out, alex at thedreammason.com. Feel free to reach out to the website. I'd be happy to entertain any conversation, any ideas, any thoughts. If you're interested in coming, if you have concerns, I'm here for it. And I want to share with you what this whole thing, besides the fact that we created this retreat out of this spark of this book, Redefining Masculinity, the other piece is in doing this work, 
I've been able to realize that the, the, the connection and the relationship I wanted to have with my dad was still not where I wanted it to be. When I started doing work, when I, when I, when I first hired a coach and started doing personal development work, I really realized my dad and my relationships relationship wasn't the relationship that I wanted it to be, not because of my dad. I thought it was because of him and, I, and it was like his fault. But I realized that it was that way because of me and that I was the one that had a problem with it. So it's up to me to change it. And I've done a lot of work. And, and now eight, almost eight years later from those original conversations, I still don't feel like it's, it's fully the relationship I want it to be or that I desired to be. And in doing this work and doing this work in masculinity and talking about it with my therapist and my coach, I invited my dad to come down to San Diego for the weekend to hang out. And I'm not going to lie, it was a little terrifying at first. And I think it was scary for him too. You know, when I asked him, he, he had a few reasons or excuses of why he couldn't or why he shouldn't. And, um, I just left it there. Hey, dad, I want you to come hang out with me. Come spend the weekend with me. And he said, yes. And I didn't plan much. You know, I know, I know there's some things my dad likes to do. And so I considered, you know, we'll do some of those things, but I just thought we would spend time together, eat meals together, talk, hang out. And my dad just came for the weekend. And I don't know how it was supposed to go. But I know that it's pretty wild to be 40 years old. My dad's 80-ish, 81. I'm not, I don't know exactly how old he is, but he's in his 80s. Um, and I learned things about my dad that I never knew. First day, I learned that my dad loved cats. Now, that seems like a silly little thing, but that's part of who he is. And I never knew that about him. And when he got to our house, Evan's cat Tucker, our cat Tucker came downstairs and he like got all soft and cute with this little cat. And it was like, wait, you like cats? My dad was like, I love cats. I've always loved cats. And he's like, we never had a cat because your grandfather was allergic. Now I knew my grandfather was allergic to cats, but I never knew my dad loved cats. And, you know, I, I made me think about like, how many things do we not know about our parents? that once they're gone, we might never know. So let's take this a step further. You know, I knew some things about how my dad grew up, but sitting at breakfast one day, me and him at this little diner, he was sharing with me aspects of his relationship with his brothers and his parents that I never knew about. And the impact that the flaws of his parents had on him and his brothers. And that he knew that they did the best they could, which is something I think so often about my parents. The issues I have with my parents, they're doing the best they can. And I would assert that all of our parents are doing the best they can. If they're shitty, they probably had really shitty parents too, who taught them to be shitty, that they don't even know and they don't even realize and they don't know how to do better. Because I think if you could do better, you would do better. If you realized it, if you saw another possibility for yourself, so many of us don't, and so many of our parents never had that shot. Um, and I got to see sides of my dad 
and how his life was created and why he thinks the way that he thinks and sees the world the way that he does based on things that he lived through and experienced that I never knew about. And, you know, he, he said some things that were confronting and let's say really dated and, and not appropriate. And I got to practice being patient, but also not accepting. Like, hey, it's, it's, it's not, not only not okay that you say that, but let me show you something different. And he was willing to hear and see different perspectives, which I think all I'm going to say about this is like, I opened up my heart to my dad. I had the courage to open up my heart to my dad and slow down and listen and ask questions. And what did I get back? He slowed down. He listened. He asked questions. And we connected. Now, is it the perfect father-son relationship? No. Does it have even more room to expand? Absolutely. Am I so grateful that I had this opportunity while he's alive? Yeah, hell yeah. And, and I want to do it again. And I want to keep this going. And if I hadn't been willing to explore men's work, even by being called out by it and even being triggered by it and not liking what I was seeing, I wouldn't have had this experience. So if you're a man listening to this, I really invite you to take a look at my website, thedreammason.com. Take a look at the Alchemy of Men retreat happening in October. I invite you to take a look at your life and your relationships with other men. Are they surface level? Do you talk about sports and sex and women and how much money you make and food? Do you ever get into deep water? Or do you always, are always and often play on the surface? Are you willing to share about your emotions, your feelings, the things you're struggling with? Because I know that with men in my life, I can and I do and it's refreshing. And we can actually hang out and talk about things that matter that really matter in our lives and really connect on we're not the only ones that feel like this. And then that expands to the other people in our lives, other men. All right. I want to uh, transition a little bit and talk about power. And this lesson I have for you today, um, or this experience, whatever you want to call it, in the world we live in, so you'd have to be pretty blind, pretty ignorant to not see that we live in a patriarchal society. And we, and, and mankind has lived under patriarchal dominance for as long as we know. And I'm not relating to that as bad or good, simply as is. Men have been in charge and have had privilege and dominance and power for as long as we know, for the most part. And even when women have it, it's an anomaly. And again, I'm not saying it's bad or good or anything. I'm just saying it is. Inside of that, the masculine patriarchal power structure, a lot of us have suffered. I would even assert that men in power have suffered because to keep up the ruse of power and dominance and getting the job done and results oriented and go, 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 hustle, 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 stronger, bigger, faster, stronger, I would say that many of us suffer in that conversation and have suffered as a result of it, has suffered at the hands of others because of it, have suffered in the experience of ourselves. And inside of that wounded masculine, we have learned that power often 
looks like dominance. Our bosses dominate, our leadership dominates, police dominate, military dominance, athletic dominance, sexual dominance. Power often in our paradigm looks like dominance. But here's the thing. Dominance comes from insecurity. If I have to dominate you, there's something that I'm concerned about that would have me have to dominate. Dominance is not power. It's a sheer force of will. It's an over-exaggeration. It's an overcompensation. It's power from ego or shadow side. Now you might be saying, well, what does power look like if it's not dominance? Well, power looks like fierceness. Here's another way to look at this. If we look out in, in nature, a lion, a lion is the king of the jungle, right? The lion doesn't go around telling all the other animals how dominant it is. It doesn't go around scaring all the other animals. The lion just does what the lion does. The lion just lives its life. In the relationship to other animals, when the lion needs to be fierce, it's fierce. Its power comes from who it's being, not what it can do to everyone else or how it forces everyone else to be a certain way. Consider that's the big twist between dominance, being fierce and being dominant. If I'm dominant, I have to go do to everyone else. It's external. It's outside of me. If I am fierce, I can't be, I can't do fierceness to you. I am fierce. It's who I'm being. It's how I'm showing up. It's true power. It's clean, natural, it like natural organic power. It's the way power looks without insecurity, right? If that lion was insecure, it would have to run around eating, destroying, causing ruckus for the sheer sake to like leave a trail of warning, like don't fuck with me. But that lion knows how fierce it is. It's not insecure. It doesn't have to. It garners respect simply through who it's being. Now, now if, if you're in charge of a business or you're in, in your relationship, you're responsible for, you know, as a parent or you own a business, if you're dominant, how do you think that causes your employees to show up? If you're dominant to your partner, if you're a woman and you're dominant to your man or your man, you're dominant to your woman and it's not a, a co-created sexual dominance for, for fun or pleasure. How do you think that causes your partner to show up when you're dominant to your kids? What do you think the impact of, uh, on them is? When our government is dominant to us, what's the impact? What's the result? How is it working? As a country, when the U.S. is dominant over other countries, how's that working? What, is that, uh, what happens to the people in that other country and their thoughts about us? Same thing, we're all seeing it in Russia right now. When Russia is trying to dominate another country, what does the world see and think of Russia for the most part? Dominance doesn't garner respect. And it's also not an enjoyable experience. It's a pretty miserable experience, I would argue. The people doing the dominating are not happy. 
for the most part, they're, they're, they're pretty unhappy and they have to, and they can never stop because if you're, if it's about dominance, you can't ever let up. You have to keep the foot on the pedal. You have to keep your, your boot on the person's face. You have to continue to control and manage everything. But if you have true power, you bring that and you are fierce. It's respected. It's enjoyable. You're actually able to connect with people. You can be fierce and have empathy. You can't really be dominant and have empathy. You can't really be dominant and really love, but you can be fierce and love. A pa the paradigm of power in the future or something that will actually work for us is fierceness. Is a way that we show up for us that, keep, that can come out and be explored based on who we're being not in who we're needing, not in needing what we're needing to do to others. Fierceness shows up as clean and clear. It's not from ego, but it's from passion. It's from intention. It's from your commitment. It's from your desires. Dominance is from fear. Commit, uh, fierceness comes with boundaries and standards. Standards. Dominance comes from coercion and forcing. I would invite you to look at in your business, in your relationships, when it comes to power, who have you idolized? Were they fierce? Were they dominant? Who are you being? What would it look like to get out of dominance and into, and into being fierce? What would it look like to love and have boundaries? What would it look like to love and have passion and intention? What would it look like to trust and surrender and not have to control and manage? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Dream Mason podcast. If you're interested in working with me and learning more about anything I'm up to and grabbing a copy of Fictional Authenticity, my book, or in attending the Alchemy of Men retreat, please go to thedreammason.com. Thank you for being here. And, um, oh, I have one more thing to share with you before we wrap up and I'll probably talk about this more on the next podcast, but I am launching a new podcast. It's called playing with problems and it's already on iTunes and Spotify. You can check out the T you can, you can look up playing with problems. Uh, it's also, you can find links to it on, you know, all my socials. It's about the idea that most of the time on podcasts, we bring on people who are successful, who have achieved so much and so often we, because of social media and podcasting, we start to think that all the successful people don't have problems. They're all in their past. They've, they've conquered them. They've, they, they've already overcome them. And I want to show and believe and believe that we all have problems. It doesn't matter how successful you are. You are not successful in every area of your life. And even the most admired and successful of us struggle with things. Playing with problems is going to explore that with people and current problems they are experiencing. And we're going to work them out there right on the podcast. So as a listener, you might gain some insights, some new perspectives, some new ideas on how you can deal with things that you're facing that likely some successful people that you admire are also facing. If you're interested in being a guest on Playing With Problems, reach out to me, alex at thedreammason.com. And I would be happy to, uh, you know, me and my team would be happy to have a conversation with you about that. 
Thanks again for listening to the Dream Mason podcast. I look forward to doing this with you again. Later. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream, and I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.